0: Ashley Banfield here, and this is Rising Tide, the place where I bring some of the greatest mentor minds to you. If you care about your craft and you want to be better at what you do, I want to help you with that. You know, it's easy to assume that you need an Ivy League education to really make it big. But each month, I feature VIP mentors who are leaders in their industry, and they say, that's not true. They're gonna prove to you that you don't have to have highbrow connections to create your own personal best and they've agreed to share their tips, their secrets, and their career advice with you. This is Rising Tide. All right, well, first of all, welcome to everybody. This is uh, yet another installment of our free Rising Tide mentoring session with the one and only Steve Wilkos, yay! Uh, It was really great to have you, Steve. Um, My husband says to say uh, he thought you weren't on because you were on the golf course. And I said it was a technical problem and he's still debating it. But uh, uh, for those uh, who don't know Steve, you've been living under a rock. We all know who Steve Wilkos is. He's of course the host of the economist Steve Wilkos show. It's a nationally syndicated uh, series that's produced by NBC Universal domestic television distribution. The show is now in its 15th season, holy smokes. Uh, Since its debut, it's grown 59% in households, which is no easy feat, especially in daytime television. And if you know the, the war that is daytime, It is extremely hard to make it in daytime television. The failure rate is something like 98%. Uh, So if you can make it there, it's kind of like New York. Uh, You can make it anywhere. Um, If you don't know this about Mr. Wilkos, before beginning his career in entertainment, Steve served in the United States Marine Corps for seven years. Uh, When he came back from service, he joined the Chicago PD following in the footsteps of his dad and retired from the police force back in 2001. Uh, Late in his law enforcement career, and this is where we get to the TV part, Um, at six foot three, Steve Wilkos began moonlighting as a security guard on The Jerry Springer Show and ended up guest hosting more than 50 episodes on Jerry's program before ultimately landing his own show, The Steve Wilkos Show, in 2007. Um, He's earned four PRISM Award nominations for raising awareness about substance abuse and social issues. He's a huge sports fan, avid golfer. My husband says he's just okay. Uh, he and his wife Rochelle, uh, who is the executive producer of the Steve Wilco show, have two kids and they live in my neck of the woods in Connecticut. Welcome, Steve. I'm so glad to have you. And you're at your lake house, so you're not you're not close to me right now, right?
1: No, we're uh, we're up in Newtown.
0: Okay, well it's lovely to have you, and I'm glad the Wi-Fi, uh, the Wi-Fi works. So I just gonna ask a, a quick question off the bat. Um, do you love television? Uh, and if you do or don't, do you like it more than the law enforcement career that you came out of?
1: Um, you know, I wouldn't say that I love television. Uh, you know, for me, it's a job. I, I'll say this. When I was on the Springer show, I had a lot more fun because I didn't have the responsibilities of carrying the show and making sure that it was successful. So I, you know, when you're the second banana, you just, you're really having a lot of fun and The show was crazy and it was stupid and silly. So you didn't take it seriously where my show is very serious. And I feel a lot of responsibility and pressure to keep this show going. Um, A lot of people that's on my staff and uh, people that work for me, they, you know, when you get to this many years, we're going to start season 16 in a few months. You know, you're, you're more than halfway through your career. Right. So People start getting nervous, like how much longer I'm going to do the show or how long it's going to last. As we saw like this last year, the real uh, uh, Judge Jerry, Nick Cannon. uh, I mean, just shows just getting canceled. So it's it's nerve wracking. Right. Um, But do I like it a lot being a TV a lot better than being a police officer? Certainly I do. I mean, being a Chicago police officer was not easy. And there was times I got hurt and it was very dangerous. sitting in a car for eight hours a day is not a lot of fun. Um, so in, in that respect, I love being in TV, but, you know, people have this conception like, Oh, you're on TV. You have this great job. It's a job and it's a grind. And so I'm very fortunate that I'm in my position, but it's not like I love being on TV because that would be a lie. It's really
0: interesting, And I think, you know, it's amazing I mean, you've had such incredible success. Uh, nobody can argue that it is an extremely difficult environment. You just mentioned the cancellations. And so so many people give advice you know when, when people are looking to, to you know, embark on their chosen professions, that if you love something, it will never be a job. Um, it will always be the thing that you do and you'll you know, never watch the clock. Do you ever find yourself watching the clock and thinking, what's the next chapter? What am I going to do next?
1: Well, there's no next chapter for me. This is it. Um, when the show's over, uh, I'm done. Uh, you know, I, you know, between the Springer show and my show, I've been on TV for 28 years and, uh, I, there would be a point where I'd like to walk away, but, uh, I have a daughter in college and a son still in high school. And, uh, that kind of ties me to the Stanford Connect, uh, Connecticut area where we tie, uh, tape the show. So I'm kind of, you know, until my son is definitely out of high school, I have to, I want to stay doing the show. Um, but after this, you know, I would think, you know, I'm 58 years old. Uh, I, I I can't imagine there will be any, I really don't, I mean, to be honest, I don't want to do anything. I, I, I would like to be retired in the next couple of years. So. You know, that's what that is.
0: So you don't see yourself as like a you know uh, an executive producer going forward. Like your your wife obviously has mad skills. She produces your show. You don't see yourself as owning entities moving
1: forward. Well, I'm an executive producer in name only. Where you know they give the talent the name uh, the executive producer credit. I don't know anything about producing TV. My wife is a real executive producer. I'm a I'm a fake executive producer and. Uh, The reason why like even NBC agreed to give like me and Maury executive producer titles is because if the show gets nominated for an Emmy and we're not on staff, we wouldn't be, we wouldn't get an Emmy. So that's why they gave us executive producer credits so that the shows would ever, not that I'm ever going to win an Emmy, but if I was, you know, somehow was nominated, I'd have a shot at it. If they didn't give me the executive producer credit and the show won an Emmy, everybody would get Emmys except the hosts.
0: Well, you got the four Prism Award uh, nominations, so I wouldn't uh, wouldn't count that out. Okay, I've got a question from Bill Moody from Gainesville, Florida. Bill asks this, how did working as a director of security on the Jerry Springer show for years lead to you getting your job as the talk show host?
1: So... You know, when I started on a Springer show, I was just, I wasn't on camera. I wasn't uh, a part of the show. I was just doing pure security. But then when the show took the crazy confrontational uh, direction it did, and I was on stage a lot, uh, people started to see me more and more. Jerry would talk to me a little bit during the show. Well, they then asked me to shave my head. And then I shaved my head. And then I, then I was really become a part of the show. And, but my real big break came. And, you know, my, my role on the show over 14 years kept growing and growing. And there was a point where Jerry was going on Dancing with the Stars. And he, they said, they, NBC thought he'd be the first one voted off. He'd be gone in a week and he'd be back. Well, during that week, we couldn't really shut the production down. So they came to me and said, you're going to host the show for a week. I said, great. You know, they were paying me extra money. and But then Jerry did really well on Dancing with Stars. He was on there like five or six weeks. And during that five or six weeks, I taped about 30 shows. And when those shows aired, we got a ratings bump. So the next year, they and we would tape Mondays, Tuesdays, and Wednesdays back in the dance program. So on Mondays, they had me the next season host the shows and... They did well. And then finally, NBC said, we're giving you your own show. So I certainly never in a million years, when I started working security on the Jerry Springer show, thought that I would someday have my own show.
0: Did it feel natural just to sort of slide into that role? Was it easy? Were you scared? Were those first few uh, fill-in shows kind of messy?
1: Yeah, they're probably terrible. Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean, I was, I was terrible. I was nervous because, like I said, I was very comfortable in my role as second banana on the show, but and then when the spotlight is on you and you have to think and and react, uh, yeah, I was I was terrified. And uh, but it was great training ground for my own show because I really got to get my feet wet hosting the Springer show. I probably did fifty or sixty episodes before I did my own show. So by the time my show rolled around. Uh, I was a lot more comfortable in front of the camera and uh, asking questions. And listen, it was a good transition for me, easy, in the sense when I was a police officer, I had to interview people all the time anyway, so interrogate in some some circumstances. So uh, that part, I was always good at talking and getting information out of people. But when you're on camera, it is, for me, it was very intimidating. So here's a tough question.
0: Um, and it, it may be different for you than me. I don't know, being uh, male versus female. But in this business, and I think a lot of people who are in our group right now will will probably attest to this, the fill-in business is always a sticky wicket because there, there can be um, jealousies and you know fear of the job loss for the main host. Was there any um, acrimony ever between you and Jerry when you said that the numbers bumped uh, when you came on and did the guest hosting? Did it ever lead to any kind of ill will?
1: You know what? I truly was so fortunate and blessed to be with Jerry because, you know, the guy has never been nothing but awesome to me. Uh, just a, and you know, Jerry, he's just a wonderful guy. And uh, so he he was very encouraging. And let's face it, if I could spend so many off my show, I'd love it because you know Jerry gets a piece of the action off my show and uh you know the spinoff and you get those residuals so that's a that's i'm sure he's still enjoying that to this day and uh so no he you know jerry was very supportive and uh really took me you know took me under his wing and 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 the great thing not not only just being on the show but like you know when jerry springer show was the number one show in the world i traveled with him i saw how he uh interacted with people uh, how he dealt with the attention. So he was a mentor to me in so many different ways on how to handle situations and dealing with the public and dealing with the press. And so even though I never knew that I was getting my own show, I saw it and I, it was such a wonderful thing to carry with me and know how to deal with so many different situations that um, that I saw firsthand from Jerry. You know, I'll,
0: I'll second that. He is... Probably one of the nicest people I've ever met in the business. One of the smartest. One of the most intriguing, given his just unbelievable background. Starting with the Democratic Party, you know, decades and decades ago, moving into a mayorship, and then moving into the the role in television. Unapologetically, has always said, "I do a TV show. It's entertainment. I'm not here to do news. I'm not here to to inform. I'm I'm just doing an action movie that's live every day." And so he's he's been very transparent always about his work and. I think you're right. I think he is one of the better mentors out there because I met him, I think, 26 years ago, and he was extremely helpful to me as well. So I'm glad you had that, that experience. It's really, it just buoys me to hear that in this business because that's what we're doing. We're doing a mentorship program for all these people watching to get tips, you know, um, and it's nice when, when people share like that. Okay. Dave from um, Miami says, um, what was your reaction when they asked you to guest host and, uh, did you feel that you were, you were qualified for it or actually let's move it on to getting the show. Let's just push that to getting the the offer for a show. Did you feel you were ready for that?
1: I don't, you know, like, again, you know, a man, a guy coming from my background being a police officer and working security at a TV show. I don't think you're ever prepared for that role because I wasn't trying to be in TV. I wasn't, Trying to make a break into it, I, you know, my dad was a Chicago policeman, and I was going to be a Chicago policeman and get my pension and retire. So no, I I wasn't ready for it. And I remember uh, they called me up. It was in January of two thousand seven, and it was late at night. It was like ten thirty at night, and I was the only one up. My my kids were very small at the time; they were babies, and they were sleeping. And my wife was in bed sleeping, and I got a phone call from an NBC executive late at night. He's like, you know, uh, Steve Wilgos, goes, we're going to give you your own show. And I thought it was one of my friends screwing around with me, to be honest. Uh, but then I realized it was real. And I remember I woke, went upstairs and I woke up my wife and I said, hey, we got a TV show. And she thought I was drunk. And uh, she said, no, anyway, you're crazy. And I said, no, it's real. And uh, So, and then then you because they just said okay you have a show we had to figure out what we were going to do and what kind of show it was going to be but we knew that we had to break away from the whole jerry springer theme for us to be successful we had to stand on our own and do something completely different and my wife is you know she's really good producer she's a great producer and she's the one who said hey listen You're a good policeman. You're a good police officer. We're going to take that police officer from the streets of Chicago and put him on stage, and that's what you're going to do. And 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 that formula has worked for the past fifteen years. So,
0: so it's interesting you say that um, because you know Jerry's approach was was always kind and and you know non non confrontational to his guests even the really troubled ones and you're more than no nonsense a little more on the judge judy spectrum uh with telling people like it is and you know cracking the whip so to speak and that's just all authentic that wasn't something where you had to create this this sort of genre or this look for this show that was just you saying look it's what i do it's what i'm gonna do
1: i'm not good enough to act or do anything but be who i am and and then that was another great piece of advice Joey gave me. He said, just be who you are. And 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 so my wife was not the executive producer the first year. And I was produced in a way, and and we really, I don't even know if we air the shows from season one because all I did was yell. I mean, just yell, 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 scream, be hard on everybody. There was no, there was no empathy, there was no Uh, caring, uh, there was no reaching anybody on a certain level. All I did was kick everybody in the ass and yell at them. So when when they fired that exec producer, my wife took over, that's when my wife really said, no, we're not doing it anymore. You're going to be you. When you feel sorry for somebody, feel sorry for them. When you care about them, care about them. When you want to get up in their butt, get up in their butt. And so, you know, that's when the show really started taking off. When my wife took over, and she knew I wasn't one-dimensional, and she really got all the different sides of me to come out on camera.
0: You know, that's a theme, uh, Steve, that has resonated throughout every one of these mentoring sessions, honestly, is authenticity. Don't pretend that you're something you're not. Um, the the far more successful formula is to bring who you are to the screen and then allow it to get through the screen. There's the the big challenge though for a lot of people is how to get through the screen. Uh, And as a police officer and as a Marine, how did you figure that part out? Like how did you break through the screen and into the living rooms? Or do you even know?
1: To be honest, I don't know. Um, Like I said, when I, you know, you know, before when I said I don't love TV, but the one thing is about me, like sometimes I'll be mad. I'll be mad at NBC about my, you know, my contract or I'll be, I don't want to do the show that day or, you know, something. But once I hit that stage, I cannot get, I cannot do less than hundred percent. Like that's just everything I've done in my life. Like whether I was a Marine or a police officer I've always taken pride in doing a good job. And once I hit that stage, no matter what else is affecting me in my day, I want to get in and do the best show. And I I get so sucked in. And then then my wife sometimes is like, this show is not that good. Don't waste a lot of time on it. And then I'll be like grinding out. She's like, just move on. Don't, we're we're not, we might not even air this, you know? And uh, so that's the one thing, like, I, I can't act i can't be any anything that i can but you know the way i was raised and you know i don't want to be the old man shaking my fist back in my day we did it this way but i do certainly think that the generation from when i you know i was raised in the 60s to 70s it was a lot more hardcore and there was you know a lot of physical discipline and you know when i joined the marines there was no Uh, you know, I'm trying my best. And, you know, like that didn't cut it, man. Like you had to do it and, you know, you had to, you know, succeed. And uh, there was no babying. you. My parents didn't baby me. The brain cord didn't baby me. So, you know, I don't baby my guests. Like, but I do think that I'm a little softer than my father was with me. There's times when I have guests where I really do, uh, I can feel their pain or, something that they're going through and I have a lot of empathy for them. So uh, I, I, and, and the longer I've done the show, the better and better I think I've become. And which is true in a lot of things, right? If you do something uh, over a long period of time and you really work at it, you know, I think you're going to get good at it. Except my golf game. Other than that. I heard. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Except I carried your husband in our tournament last year.
0: Uh... This is from Vladimir Kislinger in Tampa, Florida from WFLA News Channel 8. And Vladimir asks, how do you define your own personal style in the television industry when you find yourself with pre-established parameters within television stations? It's a great question because sometimes the authenticity and what's real and what feels right doesn't match the box that you're given or the direction that you're given or the time constraints that you're given. How do you sort of uh, you know, accommodate for all the non-natural parts of TV when you're trying to put your natural self into it?
1: Well, I mean, I don't know the exact uh, what they're getting at, but I I I think, I think I do, but I'll say this. So we did the show for a certain way for many, many years, and we did it with a live studio audience, and, uh, you know, we were able to get guests from all over the country in the last 2 years because of the pandemic i've had to do a show with no studio audience and limited guests that had to drive in they couldn't get on the planes because of covid restrictions so you know when i do my show and, and you know 75% of the time it's more serious but there's times when we did stories where it was funny or whatever and when i would crack a joke or make you know light of something you know when I have a live student audience, I have 150 people laughing or, you know, I'm feeding off them. And, the, and, and now if I crack the joke or said something funny, it's crickets. It was like, you're doing the show in a closet. I mean, there's three cameramen might give a giggle. So that's been really hard on me to adapt to this, you know, a, a totally new environment of doing a show. Listen, you're still in the same studio. Everything looks the same doing the show became completely different. Now we're really hoping that when we go back to taping in the fall that you know things are back to normal, we can have an audience, uh you know we can bring guests in from everywhere. And I, I and I do have to say like I give credit to my wife and everybody that works my staff because uh doing TV shows is hard to begin with, but doing under the restrictions that we were placed under from NBC because of uh, guidelines with COVID and everything else, it became ten times harder. Ten times harder for me. Ten times harder for my staff. So you know that
0: that leads me to another question. That is like you said, you you crack a joke, and because the studio audience isn't there and it's crickets, it's it's a bit of a gut punch. Take me further into that because everybody who's on the Zoom right now has had this this thing happen where they they put themselves out there. They've done something live. They've done a you know, a report, they've done whatever, and we're in the business of performing, which requires feedback. And right. sometimes when you don't get any feedback, you're, you're grasping at what, what could that mean? And sometimes when you get negative feedback, like social media, it can be, you know, earth shattering and soul crushing. How do you, well, what are, your, what are your suggestions and your lessons and recommendations for people on the Zoom right now for dealing with that zero feedback and the guessing game? or the awful feedback, which is very painful and can kind of uh, affect what you do and how you do it.
1: Well, I'll, I'll say this, you know, when you're doing it in front of a live studio audience, you almost can feel the ebb and flow of what the audience is feeling. Right. And, so, you know, and you definitely feed off the audience. And uh, if they're, if they're feeling really negative about a guest Sometimes it can influence me. You're like, you're going, okay, well, yeah, the audience doesn't like this person. So, may, you know, like I don't like him either. But now, and, and I'll say this, maybe the one good thing with COVID is because it's so one-on-one and so intimate that it, it would be like if you were having somebody over to your house and you're sitting in the kitchen and having a talk and nobody else is around Sometimes you can get into a deeper conversation and get the things that maybe you wouldn't never get into if you had, uh, you know, 150 people sitting behind you. So, you know, listen, I, I definitely want to go back to the old days where we had an audience. But I do think maybe it was almost like a little training for me to get to a certain level with these guests and able to connect a little deeper and better Because I didn't have the audience.
0: So um, this is a great question. Chris from New York says, you've been on the air since 07 with your own show, with Maury and Jerry hanging up their mics. What are your thoughts for the future? And I'm going to just round that out a little further by saying, you know, many of us are tasked with, you know, you got to keep it fresh. You got to bring the trends in. You got to do something new or you're going to be out with the old. And yet there's that idea of authenticity, right? If you bring your authenticity, you create the show around that. How are you supposed to change that and make it new? Like, what are your thoughts about freshening something up, but still still staying true to who you are and what you want to do?
1: So I I think with the show, you do a, a certain type of show, and that's what people expect. When they tune in, they want to see the certain type of Steve Wilco show. What we've done differently is when we focus on last year where we We did a lot of stories about people that were incarcerated unjustly, unfairly. And we told their stories. And we told stories of people that, you know, listen, if I got sentenced to jail tomorrow for 25 years and I knew I didn't do it, I'd probably go into prison and curl up in a fetal position and and I'd be dead in a year. Where we told stories of people that uh, were in prison for many, many years. And there was one guy who, all he did was stay in the library and read every law book and eventually got, secured his own freedom. Uh, there was another guy who uh, was, you know, kind of fooled around with uh, uh, being an artist when he was younger and then got into some some bad habits and ended up in prison. And, and he brought back his artwork and it led to a lot of opportunities and, you know, and and gaining his freedom uh, because of the connections he made by doing these artwork. So there was all these stories that were just incredible to me. So we did that. Then the year before, maybe it was true life heroes, people that did heroic things and life and death situations. So the format of the show is really basic and, and, and will never change from that, but maybe you focus on a certain type of situation during the year. That's different than what you've done in years past, because I I do think that once you really get away from what you what brought you to having a show that stays on as long as mine has, you know, the old saying, you're jumping the shark, right? Like, you know, uh, you don't want to get anything too crazy because then I think people are like, well, that's not the show that I've been watching for years and years because look at Maury basically did the DNA every day for, you know, many, many years and Jerry did the love triangles and, you know, so... People do turn it, tune in. And listen, you know, when the time comes and you know the ratings go down and people are, are are tired of my lie detector shows or whatever, then it's then it's time, right? Like you had when you get to 15 years and I, I signed for two more years, so they will take me to 17. When it's over after that many years of TV, you really can't complain. So everything comes to an end, you know, Oprah. Jerry, Phil Donahue, Maury, all these really, really long runs of TV. But, you know, there's an end, there's an end date, right? There's an expiration date on every TV show out there. And, you know, you just have to accept it. You know, you try your best and you want to keep the show on the air, but you know, it, no TV show lasts forever.
0: Yeah, you kind of answered the next question I was going to ask. It was from uh, Zoe Orodzuk from Edmonton, Alberta, where I used to uh, live and work. Um, And she's on the Zoom right now. Uh, She had said, how have you maintained longevity in such a volatile industry? And I think that's a really interesting perspective because very few people actually acknowledge that prior to leaving. They will often say, and I remember an anchor, uh, cable anchor once saying, I've had a seven year run and that's pretty darn good. And I thought, huh? (laughs) Seven? You're not going to pay for a house in seven years, dang it. Like that didn't sound long enough to me. So for you to say, look, I've been 17. Come on. That's a really good run um that's great it frustrates me that it's not the wall streeters or lawyers or doctors who get a nice 35 year you know <clears throat> career and they can pay their bills and expect their lifestyle to be you know fairly um you know it, 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 not, not, not frightful and, and fraught with you know fear of losing it at any given moment i've only got a minute left with you because we're, we're at the 30 minute mark but i do want to ask you this because i think it spans all your careers in um, law enforcement, in the military, and then, of course, in, in TV. It's from Dave, and he asks, what, what episode, or is there an episode of your show that you could not leave at work afterwards, something you felt a need to get an update on or a guest you needed to check in on? And that, I would imagine, spans policing and military as well. Is there something that stayed with you?
1: you talk talking about one specific show?
0: Or, yeah, or one specific, um, either an episode of the show or a case in the show or even a, a case in policing or in, uh, in your military career, something that just it didn't leave you. It was work, well, but it didn't say work. Y-
1: you know, when I was uh, when I was a policeman, and, you know, it's, it's funny how, like, one thing that will stick out in your mind, uh, but when I was a policeman, uh, there was a case where this uh, – <laughs> We had a call and it was a domestic, uh, t- domestic disturbance situation. And when we got there, there was this little girl and, you know, she was just all marked up and, you know, obviously somebody was beating her and we knew it had to be the father. And, but the wife was very, uh, very scared. And, and, you know, we have, we were able to separate, you know, the husband from the wife and the wife finally told us, Yes. And this just, you know, I I, I don't know. Maybe it sticks in my mind too now because I have a daughter and I can't imagine anybody doing something like that to your own. But that stuck with me because uh, we eventually, you know, we arrested him and the the little girl was just so frightened and scared of everything. And I remember talking to her, trying to talk to her. And, you know, it was, uh, she was just terrified talking to me because, you know, I was a big man, just like her dad. And, that really bothered me because, you know, even though like my dad was a hard ass and he would hit us when we were, but it was for discipline. It was a reason I knew we all knew my dad loved us. Uh, but this was a totally different thing. And to know that you're living in a house, with a child like that, who's so scared of their parents or one parent who terrified the wife too. Uh, I remember thinking, like I went home and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't fathom that. And that, that one kind of that little girl, like I can't even remember the faces of policemen I worked with, but that little girl's face has, uh, it's kind of burned in my brain.
0: Yeah, I think we everybody on this uh, Zoom has probably covered a story where uh, it was really tough to to shake it, um, whether it was just that night when they got home and um, couldn't process. I mean, I. I couldn't shake 9-11 for a long time. I don't think I have shaken it, actually. Yeah. I don't like to consume 9-11 media. Uh, it just gives me a, a gut punch in the throat, you know. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that, that's a really hard part of what we do is we're covering real stuff. You know, this is real. It's it's. I think lawyers would also maybe experience some pretty tragic stuff as well, probably that case that, you know, you police uh, Just quickly,
1: country. like even the stories that have the most impact me is children because – you know, adults make bad decisions, they get into bad relationships, they make bad decisions not to get out of them, but children are, they, they, they don't have to make those decisions. And some of them are really trapped with, you know, just bad parents that do drugs or neglectful or abusive. And so when we do stories with children, uh, those, those are the ones because, you know, as a father, I think about my own children and how I want to protect them and make sure everything's right with them. And to me, it's just unbelievable that not every parent thinks that way. I just can't imagine not taking care of your child the best as you can. So those stories, uh, you know, those are hard to let go sometimes.
0: I hear you. I'm so thankful and I've kept you over. Thank you so much for taking time out of your vacation uh, to do this and to give us the lessons. Listen. This is great to hear from you, because like I said, I mean it. Uh, Daytime television is the hardest television to succeed in and has the greatest failure rate. So to hear from someone who has seemingly breezed through it, it's good to hear all those steps along the way. Uh, You don't just walk into something accidentally and it just works out. There's usually a lot of preparation along the way. Um, And to those on the outside, it might appear that it was just easy. But you had a lot of background that you brought to it from the Marines and from Chicago PD. And then I think you're just a really nice guy. And, and there's a lot of that as well, Steve. I know you personally, and I just know your your kind heart like Jerry. And I think that speaks volumes in what you do. Um, so thank you for this. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank, Thank you for having me, Ashley.
0: Don't forget... You can watch me every night on News Nation at 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 Central, and 7 p.m. on the West Coast. Don't know where to watch us? Just go to www.joinnn.com. Enter your zip code, and the channel finder will show you where you can find us on your broadcast dial. But don't forget, we're also on all the streamers. Hulu, Roku, YouTube TV... This is Ashley Banfield, and thanks so much for joining me for this edition of Rising Tide.